That's nice. All right. So um, I'm just going to say, doing this message, first of all, you guys know I love the Bible. Say it all the time. Pastors, that's excellent. That's excellent news, right? Um, but sometimes it is so difficult when you're studying to do a message to just be like, Holy Spirit, lead me to the things you want me to talk about because there's so much. So I'm just going to ask you, if there are things that, as we're studying these scriptures out, things that you're like, oh, I wish he had talked about that or I wondered about that and we didn't cover that, make a note of that in your journal and commit to yourself that you're going to go back and you're going to study it out a little bit yourself. And then if you have questions, you want to talk about it, Look at all of these people around you, right? That's a, a wonderful, wonderful way to be able to, to let iron sharpen iron, sharpen each other, to be able to talk about the word and to have pastors and mentors that can help you if there are things that you're unclear about or you want to talk about more. So we're in Ephesians. Um, if you've got your Bible, which I hope you do, or your phone with the Bible on it, we're in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. And if you've got your physical Bible with you, you might want to go ahead also and mark Psalm 68, because we're going to take a little trip over there in a few minutes, and you might be able to find it easily if you've got it pre-marked. Um, but again, you know, having, having access to God's Word to be able to study these things out um, is a miracle. It is a miracle, and I am so grateful to be able to do this, and I'm gonna try very, very hard to just stay where the Holy Spirit has asked me to be and not go on the million rabbit trails that I was on as I was studying this. All right, so Ephesians 4, we're verses 7 through 16, and I'm gonna read you the chunk of Scripture so that we have that in our minds, where the whole thing is, is together before we start breaking it out into little chunks there. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and he gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says, he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. 
Now, I teach out of the NLT, but when I study, I use very, I use multiple versions. And we'll talk um, multiple translations, right? So we're talking about just different, different translations of the Bible. Um, and that's important because sometimes the language might cause you to be like, you know, I don't know if I understand that. And that's why Bob spends a lot of time in word study. Word study can be so helpful to clarify things. And sometimes it's as easy as looking at multiple translations. So the first little chunk of scripture we're going to look at is verses 7 and 8. And it starts, verse 7 starts with the word, however, which leads us to believe that it's important for us to know what the previous scriptures are, the previous verses. So we're going to go ahead, flip yourself back a page if, you're, if you need to. I should hear a rustle of pages probably. Um, and we're gonna, I'm just going to start in verse 3 so that we've got that lead into our scriptures for today. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. A lot of repetition. He's trying to make a point there. What we're hearing is the language of the group, the unity of the group. Now remember, we're not talking about uniformity. We're talking about unity. And then we're transitioning into verse 7 that says, however, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. So we've gone to the the unity of the whole, the the church as a whole, Christians as a whole, And now we're at the individual that each one of us has been given a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Now in verse 8, I just want to point out Paul's quoting from Psalm 68. So if you marked that, go ahead and drag yourself over to Psalm 68. And we're just going to read verse 18. When you ascended to the heights, you led a crowd of captives. You received gifts from the people even from those who rebelled against you. So what's different in that and then the way Paul has just said it? In, the, in Psalms, we're talking about God, him receiving gifts. And God's worthy of receiving gifts from us. He is king. But here Paul is showing us the beautiful nature of King Jesus, God's son, who instead of expecting us to shower him with gifts, he is giving gifts to us. Think about it. King Jesus, he is worthy of everything from us, but instead of expecting things from us, he is giving gifts to us. And that phrasing, uh, in some of your translations, it may use the word grace. So in the NASB, it says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift, instead of saying he has given each one of us a special gift. And the translational idea of grace, often we think that's only saving grace. And obviously saving grace is necessary for us to be able to receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But right here, 
He's talking about the spiritual gifts that we're given, that we're, it's a grace upon grace. And we can't have it without that, save, that saving grace. But right now what we're talking about, what Paul is talking about, is the spiritual gifts that we are given. So we transition from the big picture language of unity that he was just talking about at the beginning of this chapter, and we, translate, um, we transition from the one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, that big picture, to the individual, that he has given something to each and every one of us as followers of Christ. Now in the NLT, it says that this happens through the generosity of Christ. In the NIV, it says, as Christ apportioned it, And in the NASB, it says, according to the measure of Christ's gift. So what this does, this introduces the idea that those gifts, this isn't the welcome wagon where they have a prepackaged gift that Jesus just gives each of us the exact same thing, you know. Welcome to the neighborhood. This is your gift. He gives us something individual because we all have a purpose and a plan that is given to us by the Lord. It was, it was in place long, long ago. So he's not giving you something that you're not able to use. He's giving, something, giving you something that not only are you able to use, but you're supposed to use it. It's something that's individual to you. And it could change over time. There could be multiple layers of it. But we have to recognize first and foremost that he has given it to us. We have to acknowledge that. So Paul wants the Ephesians to know, because he's writing this letter to the church of Ephesus, he wants to really bring home the fact that Christ has come down to them, that he's come down and given them these gifts. So his next scriptures in 9 and 10 read, notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world, and the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. So Paul isn't using a bunch of flowery language. He is keeping it real for them. He is spelling out the importance of the fact that Jesus descended to our lowly world. Christianity is very different than many other religions or cults or things that we see out there because Our God, the God, he is not impersonal. He is not detached from us. He is fully vested in his love for us and his desire for us to be part of his purpose. So invested and so vested in that success that he sent Jesus, which Jesus is the human form of God. He sent him here to be with us so that we could receive that gift, so that we could receive the gift of salvation and then the amazing supernatural gifts that flow from that. Paul goes on in verses 11 through 13, our next little chunk here. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ, 
This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So why is he giving the gifts? Why is he giving people within the church gifts so that they can be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers? It's kind of dual fold. He gives the gifts so that they can become those things and then take that next step to be equipping people. We are living gifts, not only to the church as a whole, but to each other. We're the living gifts of apostles, and I'm not gonna get into the conversation right now about the title of apostle, because that can be divisive. Um, The title of apostle was, at that time, these men that were commissioned by Jesus, they held that office of apostle, it was a title, and they had the authority to write scripture. So I'm talking about right now the general sense of an apostle in the idea of those who spread the word of God, those who are sent out to spread the word of God. Prophets, or if you have a hard time wrapping your mind around the idea of prophets, people with prophetic giftings. Again, that can be divisive, but just because some might not believe that apostles and prophets are active in modern day, that still would not preclude us from imitating and and doing the things that they did, sharing prophetic gifts that edify, that comfort, that confirm, that help the church move forward, and spreading the word of God. That is something we're meant to do. Evangelists, who's met, um, I think everybody probably has that evangelist friend, and you're like, I could never do that. That person that communicates the word of the Lord, whether or not they're in a plaza or a marketplace, or they can just meet somebody on the street and just start talking about Jesus. I love that. That is not a gift necessarily that I have. Um, I get kind of self-conscious about the fact that, you know, are they going to think I'm weird, I'm whatever, you know. Sometimes, though, the Holy Spirit has prompted me in such a way to start a conversation that I might not do otherwise if it was just me because something was needed in that time and he allowed me to operate in that gift in that moment, even though that might not be something that I operate in typically. Pastors and teachers... Pastors and teachers, you might think, are the same thing, but often pastors are those who are shepherding people, where teachers are those who try to make the word plain to other people. So there's, you might be operating in both of those gifts, but you might see people that are stronger in one than the other. Even though they're a pastor, you know, who hasn't had a pastor, and I am one of those pastors where I don't always do the greatest job of having the kind of patience and mercy that I feel I should have when I'm, when I'm pastoring people. You know, if you get impatient and you're like, for crying out loud, well, then maybe I'm not working in that pastor gift in that moment, right? I'm not showing that shepherding because I'm a little bit impatient in that. But there are other times where somebody is going through something and the Lord just works for you in such a way to be able to pastor a person, to be able to help them through something that is so 
agonizing and tearing them up that you don't even know how you have the words to do it. And you don't have to know because that's the Holy Spirit working through you. And some people are in that gift so often and some people are given that gift as it's needed because truly it is the Holy Spirit, it is Jesus that gives those gifts as he sees fit. In those verses where it says to equip God's people, it doesn't mean that we are creating something in that person. If, if you have those gifts of spreading the word, prophetic gifts, evangelism, shepherding, teaching, and it says that we're supposed to use those gifts to equip God's people, it doesn't mean that we are creating something within those people. What it means is that we're helping that person to discover and to access and develop the gifts that they were given through Christ's generosity, gifts as he saw fit, because he knows the big picture. He knows what's needed, where it's needed, when it's needed. In 1 Corinthians 12, 11, I don't have this on the screen, but I'm just gonna read it to you. It reads, it is the one and only spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. He alone now, we can desire other gifts, and we can pray for those gifts, and the Holy Spirit in his mercy will often allow us to operate in those gifts if it's needed, but there is nothing that the Lord does that is just in vain. You know, it's not like he's just kind of just randomly does something for no good reason. He always has a reason and a plan and that's beautiful. That's why you want to know what your gift is so that you know exactly where you are, where, what your purpose is, what your role is, how you're supposed to accomplish this, these things that the Lord has asked us to do. And it should be wonderful that we get individual gifts because that can help us from comparing how good we think we might be in one gift to somebody else and their gift. I know it's hard. You see somebody that prays beautifully, somebody who speaks in tongues, somebody that can do things that you're like, I could never do that. But you don't have to do that because the Lord has given you a gift that you are well able to use and you are supposed to use it. We are all, every single person in this room, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, we are all given some kind of responsibility in God's purpose on this earth. And we're all called to spread the gospel and make disciples. But how we do it is based on our gifts. And these gifts often work together. One passes off to another. They're all in conjunction with each other. And I wanna tell you if you're watching online, and maybe you're on the fence, God is just waiting to give you a gift. He is waiting to give you a gift and to allow you to operate in such a way that you have never thought it was possible. You may not believe it, but it's just sitting there waiting for you. Just sitting there waiting for you to just humble yourself and say yes. That scripture ends, that little chunk of scripture ends saying 
that we're uh, that this will be that will be mature in the Lord when we're measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Full and complete standard. So, luckily for many of us, this means that we have a lot of time to work on this because we're not anywhere close to the full and complete standard of Christ. Verse 14, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. So the word children here, we've heard Jesus use the word children, like come to me with the faith like a child, to speak about children in that way. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul's using the word children here in the sense of being childish. But notice that he's saying we'll no longer be immature like children. So children are immature because they don't have experience. They don't have a lifetime of experience to even sometimes recognize that there are people outside of their immediate situation. I remember one time my daughter, getting into the car, saw something that my nephew, Ian, had left in the car. And she's like, what's this? And I'm like, oh, Ian, I gave Ian a ride. Ian was with me yesterday and I gave him a ride and he left that in the car. And she was like, this is Ian's? He was here? And I wasn't here. Like she couldn't, it just blew her mind to think of something happened outside of her purview. And that, I don't know what she thinks at that time. She was little. I don't know what she thought I did when she wasn't physically with me. Um, But she probably just thought maybe I just hung around and was waiting for her to come back. That nothing else happened other than that. But that's what being a kid is. That's, they, they are selfish, not because they're bad. They're selfish because that's really most of what their purview is at that point. They're not necessarily affecting a lot of things outside their individual situation at that time. So think of fads and trends. So we think about little kids, and we understand where little kids can kind of get mixed up. But think about fads and trends that can kind of mess up those of us that are adults. Think of challenges. Like, challenges are still a big thing. They've been a big thing for a long time. They used to kind of be cool, right? A challenge to read your Bible every day. Uh, Any of you guys who know Bob or I for any amount of time, plank challenge. Is that all I have to say, right? Plank challenges. We do plank challenges all the time. Uh, Challenges to hike 14ers. Challenges to, um, you know, Eat well, drink, you know, drink the amount of water you're supposed to every single day for however long. Now think of some of the other <laughs> challenges that have come into the world. Um, the NyQuil chicken challenge, which I'm not even going to explain to you what that is because just saying those words is enough for you to know it's not a good idea. <laughs> the blackout challenge. Oh, that sounds like a winner, right? Skull breaker challenge. Fire challenge. Fire challenge is where... People rub alcohol or gasoline on a part of their body. They set themselves on fire and then try to put it out really quickly. What could go wrong? A lot. And that's not even somebody lying to somebody else. That is obviously not good. But people in the, in the 
desire to draw attention to themselves, to get some kind of attention, to get notoriety or popularity. They will do all manner of crazy things. And they don't even necessarily need someone to lie to them. Now think about our faith. What if we treated our faith, our theology, our love of Jesus, and our love of the world, our word, not the world, in that same cavalier manner? where we are just allowed ourselves to be like, oh, you know what, this sounds good, so this is truth. This sounds good, so this is truth. I hate to break it to people online or in here, but just because you read it on the internet does not mean it is a good idea. Just because your friend tells you something doesn't mean it's a good idea or even true. And we see very often on uh, social media or on websites that there is no, there is nothing that you can do to guarantee what you're reading is the truth. You have to vet that yourself. You can't just take something somebody gives you and say, this is truth and share it with everyone because often it is an out and out lie. And the person that is propagating that kind of information has a personal agenda and it doesn't have anything to do with your well-being. So it's on us to vet those things. And that means knowing the word so that we can't be lied to. And if something doesn't sound right, to really just, let's crack the Bible open and take a look rather than just letting it ride. Because sometimes we're allowing others then to be deceived by that kind of information. Now we know at this time what they were dealing with primarily was the idea of circumcision. Why was circumcision even a big deal? The Judaizers wanted to find a way to make people do something, to set themselves aside as Jewish first and foremost, to elevate themselves above those who were not circumcised, right? They wanted to elevate themselves above another group, self-serving. Self-serving, and that should always be a red flag. If something is put out there that is self-serving, focusing on self-serving benefits is what puts us at risk of believing a lie. Rather than focusing on glorifying God and loving others, which is what protects us. And this is what the Lord has asked us to do rather than focusing again on those self-serving benefits. Verse 15 reads, instead, so we think to ourselves, what can we do? How can we make sure we're not being blown around by whatever it is that we hear? He tells us, instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Now, speaking the truth in love seems like it should be really simple. But let's think about who we are as weak, fleshly individuals. And I'm going to read you a quote from Karen Emman, who is a, uh, she's a, she writes Bible studies. She does a lot of women's Bible studies. And she was part of a study in Ephesians. And she has a quote that ties to this particular verse that I think is very true and very timely. Speaking the truth in love is not flinging your unsolicited opinion at someone else in an effort to set them straight. 
It is not a thin, sugary glaze you paint over words you decide someone else needs to hear, cloaking your criticism in sweetness. Nor is it the current popular cultural trend of sharing your truth. There is nothing your about this verse. I love that. I love that because the verse says, growing in every way more and more like Christ. So the whole idea is that we want to become more and more like Christ and less and less like ourselves. Because if all we're focused on is our truth, that's not God's truth. That's where we should be focused on. Not what serves us and our purposes and our agenda, but what it is that glorifies the Lord and glorifies his people as a whole who have individually been given gifts to accomplish this very purpose. Verse 16, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So now we're tying together the big picture of everyone unified, which we were talking about in unity in Christ, and we're marrying it with the distinct pieces, each piece that is doing its part. The unity and the ultimate goal of that big picture is only possible with the participation of each of the individuals. So it's only possible for the, the unity of Christ to be realized if each and every one of the individuals is willing to accept the gift that the Lord has given them and then to use it so that there is no deficit. Now, to put it in a real-world example, some of you might wonder why I come up with a juice box on um, the podium here. Most of you know that I have uh, type 1 diabetes. So before, type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune disease where my immune system attacked my pancreas and my pancreas no longer creates any insulin. I will tell you 100%, I had no idea what my pancreas did before it stopped working. Um, I couldn't have told you anything about it. I couldn't have, yeah, nothing, nothing. No appreciation whatsoever for what that was. Now think about that in terms of your own personal, physical maladies, failings, shortcomings. Maybe you need glasses. Maybe you need hearing aids. Maybe you have something going on with your thyroid. Maybe you have a limp. Maybe you, who knows what it is. Um, every year that I get older, my list gets longer. So I'm sure that everybody has, you know, one or two things out there. And did you have, before that started happening, did you have a full, appre uh, full appreciation of how miraculous it is when everything is working the way it should be? Oh, I did not. I feel like I should have been, you know, I would have been writing love letters to my pancreas had I known, <laughs> had I known. So we often don't appreciate what it takes just to live each and every day until we experience that deficit. And it's the same in the church. It could be little things like, why is there no coffee downstairs? You know, or it could be big things. We don't have somebody who is uh, available to bring meals, something like that. Or somebody who can counsel. 
It could be any of those things. You don't fully appreciate what's missing until that deficit is made um, evident. So Bob mentioned that we have a healing prayer team at this church, and sometimes we get to see the miraculous. We get to see healing of the body. But as I'm studying this, the Lord is impressing upon me that instead of just praying for healing of the body, which we want to do, trust me, I pray for my pancreas all the time, and I allow other people to pay for my pancreas, totally fine. But instead of just praying for the healing of our own individual bodies, let's pray for the body of the church here and everywhere to be healthy, to be growing, to be full of love, and to remember that the healing is accomplished by us accepting the gifts that we are given and then using them. Amen. All right, so I'm going to, before we do communion, I'm going to close this in prayer. But I'm going to explain communion to you guys first. Um, we've got uh, wine and we've got gluten-free crackers and we have bread up here at the front. We have uh, juice at the back so you can serve yourselves back here or you can get served by us up here at the front. But I want to lead us in a prayer. You don't have to repeat it or anything. But I want you to just really be thinking about what it is that the Lord has given you individually as a gift. If I could go and talk to each, every one of you right now, I think each of you would have an idea of what that gift is. Sometimes you want confirmation. That's fair enough. But if you have an idea, then you should be taking some steps to see what God has for you in that gift, what he wants you to be doing with that gift. Otherwise, you feel like you're floating around and you're wondering, what, what is my purpose? You've got a purpose and he's given it to you. And you should ask. If you haven't asked, that's a great way of finding out is to ask. So let's take that moment and let's do the ask. So Lord, we just are lifting this moment, this sweet and powerful moment up to you, God. And each person in this room, Lord Jesus, I am just praying that Holy Spirit, you would reveal to them just like in a neon flashing sign, what gift you have given them to be operating in at this point in their lives. We know that you can give and take gifts as you see fit based on what is needed in your kingdom. Reveal to them in this moment what that gifting is that you have for them. Give them um, insight and clarity as where they should move next in that gift, those next steps. Give them boldness to step out in that. Lord Jesus, we know that that boldness, trying to follow what it is that you have given us, that boldness is never void. It is rewarded. It is, it is blessed. It is blessed. And keep us from this, the terrible sin and frustration of comparison. Keep us from comparing each other and let us just be so thankful that you understand and love us so much that you have given us the gifts that we are to use and you have made us capable and able to move forward in those gifts that you would never 
compel us to do something that you have not fully equipped us to be successful in and that there is purpose in that. So Lord, we just lift this time up to you. We pray for new stamina and excitement for those who maybe have felt stale for a while. And for those that are working in their gifts, we just pray that you give them right now a big and giant hug, a big giant holy hug, and you let them know that they are square within your will. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.